Texas on this rainy, godforsaken February Wednesday afternoon. Thank you, Joe. As we are preparing for the uh, to see Marillion tonight. Very, very exciting. So, um, I am Joe Beauclair, and I am joined by Paul Zottery. Paul Zottery. Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory. And we are doing a special bonus episode of Progressive Palaver, where today you're going to play Spot the Drummer. So I'd like to introduce the, the subject matter here and the rules of the game as we're going to play today. So what we're going to consider is the Rick Wakeman album, The Six Wives of Henry VIII. I had stumbled upon this this album in a used bookstore, I think back over the summer, and I got it because we were, you know, knee deep into, um, if we weren't recording guest episodes at that point, we were certain, certainly thinking about it, and um, I certainly had ARW on the brain, and it's always good to have a good Rick Wakeman album. So obviously, The Six Wives of Henry VIII has six tracks named for the you guessed it, Six Wives of Henry VIII. Oh. So I was looking through the liner notes, and I was fascinated to discover that there are three drummers who perform on this CD. One of them is Alan White. Another one of them is Bill Bruford. And a third, who appears on one track, which is a hint that I will give you, is a man by the name of Barry D'Souza. Barry D'Souza. Now, who is Barry D'Souza, you may very well ask. Who is Barry D'Souza, Joe? <laughs> well, apparently he was ubiquitous in British studios during the 70s, a favorite of producers and artists for his elegance and efficiency, and occasionally for his ability to navigate some weird and wonderfully ambitious art rock tracks. This is from uh, an article from Modern Drummer. What do you know about Barry D'Souza? Huh. And this was written by uh, Will Romano. So, wow. um, it describes Barry D'Souza as a first-call session musician living in and around London. D'Souza, who died in 2009, recorded oh. and performed with Jeff Beck, Sean Phillips, Rick Wakeman, Lou Reed, Kate Bush, and David Essex, among many others. Um, valued for his sharp musical instincts and upfronting nature... He could be found in unlikely places like Jeff Wayne's concept album extravaganza, The War of the Worlds, or backing Phil Collins for a television appearance in support of Collins' 1982 single, I Don't Care Anymore, which, ironically enough, Ken, is off Hello, I Must Be Going, which is the one Phil Collins album that I absolutely can't get enough of. Hmm, interesting. And that song, I believe, has quite a significant drum part. I believe Does it so. Not? I'm sorry, Phil didn't play the I Don't Care Anymore drum part? Oh, he did. Not on the TV show. Yeah, not on the TV show. <laughs> okay. Digging too deep there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, and the reason why I wanted to play this game was we had, it was, it must have been shortly around the time that I got this where we had begun sort of our discussion of Bill Bruford versus Alan White. And, you know, again, our, our friends at the, at the Yes Music podcast devoted an entire episode to discussing that very question. Yeah. So we're not the only people thinking this. And to be fair, I don't know that we ever had a one versus the other, but we all grew up on Yes in the Alan White era. And I think when we went back to go through the early albums, we all found a new respect for Bill Bruford, because for many of us, our, the first experience with Bill Bruford was him shaking his ass on the backstage of the <laughs> ABWH tour with all of his electronic drums, which was not the best introduction to him, I would just say. It, it didn't really show him in the best light. Yes, I, I would agree. And, and one of the things that comes out in that discussion, at least certainly in, in, the, uh, in the discussions that... Kevin and Mark had on the Yes Music podcast had to do with feel. I don't know if you guys remember that at all. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a, a quote here from this article. Quote, 
Some criticize session drummers for not having any feel, says conductor-arranger Martin Ford, a friend of D'Souza's, who coordinated various sessions around London. But once the 70s arrived, you had drummers like Barry, Bill Bruford, Stuart Copeland, Miles, Mike Giles, and Simon Phillips in the UK. These guys were brilliant and quick. And then um, the renowned session guitarist Ray Russell adds, Barry kept time and grooved. He made everyone feel relaxed. He was selfless in that respect. Mm. So, there you go. Fantastic. Okay. Oh. Notable restraint and an instinctual knack for weaving around a vocal line were encapsulated in what could be D'Souza's most famous recorded performance. Marvin Hamlish and Carol Bayer Sager's Nobody Does It Better sung by Carly Simon wow. in the 1977 James Bond thriller The Spy Who Loved Me. It's a classic. There you yeah. go. Yeah, I don't classic. even recall drums being in that. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very subtle man. Yeah. He was yeah. Very restrained. So, <laughs> so that's what we have. Excellent. Now is this a contest or just a, a friendly game? I, I think it's just a friendly game. Okay. I, I can't that's imagine, good. I can't imagine what we would award as prizes. Um, for this, so and so the idea here, if I if I may, so we spent so much time in during our previous podcasts talking about how great Bill Bruford was in the early albums, how great Alan White was in say albums specifically like Drama, and even in moments crowd noise aside into our motto. <laughs> but now the challenge is, can we actually decipher between one or the other in another? album, which arguably we haven't spent a lot of time listening to. Paul, you have captured the problem precisely. Okay. Mm. Now, what makes this very, very interesting to me is when this album was recorded. So this album was recorded between February and October 1972. Wow. Which seems to me to be right about the time that Bill Bruford was leaving Yes. And Alan White was coming into Yes. Mm. But five years prior to the peak of marijuana usage. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is also true. So, the, the, the rules of the game are as follows. We will go through and we will play an approximately one minute section of each song starting round as close as we can manage on the, uh, on the player here, starting at one minute into the track. And then you guys will have to listen to the track and determine who you think is drumming on that particular track. We will go through all six and then we will reveal the answers. Okay. We'll talk about each track individually though as we go? Right? Absolutely. Okay. Bring it on. Okay. Now just for to flesh this out a little bit, I would <laughs> like to I would like to read something that Rick put in the liner notes for this. Oh. And this okay. album is based around the uh, or based around my interpretation of the musical characteristics of the wives of Henry VIII. Although the style may not always be in keeping with their individual history, it is my personal conception of their characters in relation to keyboard instruments. Rick. He's a deep thinking guy. He really is. Now, um is there any information about the wives uh, in the in the liner notes there? As a matter of fact, there is, Paul. I think that will be helpful. Uh -oh. So, so perhaps I can I can read each blurb before we. I think that's exactly what we should do. That's great. So, moving on to spot the drummer, track one, Catherine of Aragon. Um, she was born in fourteen eighty five. She was married in fifteen o nine, divorced in fifteen thirty three and died 1536. The youngest child of Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain, she was intelligent, accomplished, and spirited, although not a ravishing beauty. Henry, anxious for a son to continue the dynasty, ordered her to leave the court after 18 years of marriage and having born a daughter. She spent her last years in loneliness and sorrow. Prayer and her deep-seated faith sustained her. She died three weeks after her 50th birthday. 
Yeah. Very sad. All right, so here is track one, Catherine of Aragon. <laughs> This drummer working out for this, you. This must be very disappointing. Very subtle. A lot of restraint here. <laughs> yeah, this would have benefited from me figuring out that would be a good place to start. So, perfect, perfect. We'll let it go on as long it's as we need to. Squishing and moving. I just like it. Answers and not secrets. much to go on there. Right. Would you like to go back? Maybe we should listen to the first minute. Maybe it, it's the more... same riff that mm. is at the end. Is it? Yeah. Selection. I've made my selection. Are we going to talk about it a little bit before, talk, before we move on? Let's talk about it. Okay. So the wild card here for me is this Barry D'Souza guy is lingering on one of these tracks. Yep. Yep. So I'm going to just go with my instinct on this one in that those um, snare hits, the da 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 to me just smack of like Bill Bruford of this era. So I'm going with Bill Bruford on, on this one. I just I just had to say Barry. It was just too perfect, too funny. All the restraint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but at the end, you know, the snare work does smack of Bruford, but at the very end there, he does a few beats, like eight or so beats, just totally. Smack. 
It doesn't sound like Bruford to me. The very end, there's yeah. something that's so straight. That's a good call out. Good call out. Um, I don't know that I really felt the, you know, intelligent, spirited, unattractive, lonely death <laughs> in that in that didn't really, track. Didn't really convey that to you. Not 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 so much for me, but interesting. That uh, that that opening hook though. He, I want to say, Rick has played. It may be on the ABWH live I think album. It was. His introduction, yeah. He's well. He, 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 I think he does a medley of the Six Wives of Henry VIII. Yeah, if I recall yeah. correctly, and that's that's in there. That's huh. that's you know a, a quote. I would call it a famous bit of Rick Wakeman music. Yeah, yeah. yeah perhaps someone will correct us on our lore if we're wrong. Undoubtedly. Sure. All right. So moving on to track two. This would be Anne of Cleves. She was born in fifteen fifteen. She was married in 1540, divorced in 1540, and died in 1557. She came from the ducal court of Dusseldorf and was schooled in the domestic arts, which made her unfamiliar with the world of music and books, which played such a large part in Henry's life. As the Holbein portrait shows, she was neither a captivating beauty nor entirely without appeal. When Catherine Howard appeared, it became apparent that the king um, wanted to free himself from Anne and the political and personal obligations therein. It took six months to untie the knot. Anne graciously accepted the honorary title King's Sister and the property that was her compensation, living in comfortable obscurity until 1557. So Anne Cleves, she didn't, uh, she didn't make out so good, or maybe she did. She didn't have to stay married to Henry for very long. And she lived in uh, what did you say? Comfortable, comfortable obscurity. Obscurity. That sounds like a nice way to go. Not bad. Oh, I played in that band. I could be comfortably obscure. Is I, it Anne with an E or Anne with an E? Yes. And I do notice that Anne of Cleves is a seven-minute and fifty-five-minute monster. Wow. So hopefully there'll be plenty of drumming to listen to. Okay. of Delirium, mm. something from uh, Tormato, or Drama. Yeah. I'm going with Alan White. Ken? Really? I was going to say Bill Bruford because this is what Bill wanted to do, <clears throat> this jammy stuff. Seven minutes of, you know, wanking around. Like when he left for King's Crimson and whatnot. He wanted less of that structure. That's true. He did. Good point. All right, so we've got uh, we've got two tracks, two differing opinions. I like it. So as we cue up track three, which appears to be a six minute and thirty seven second of Catherine Howard. Catherine Howard was born in fifteen twenty one, married in fifteen forty, executed fifteen forty two. This is when Henry started to become a little impatient, I guess. Well, it's probably getting uh, costly keeping his ex-wives comfortably obscure. Probably, yeah. Hmm. There's only so much of royal treasury to go around. Right. A gay, high-spirited girl, 
free with her favors and possessing uninhibited behavior. Well, maybe oh, now wow. there's a little insight as part of her execution. <laughs> Catherine Howard, you little tramp. Um, <laughs> I've read this before, but I don't know that I was expecting that. Um, her presence in the Queen's entourage undoubtedly accelerated the nullification of the Cleves marriage. Catherine was patently adored by her loving and devoted spouse, who showered her with gifts and pampered her in every way. Fine clothes and flattery she enjoyed, as well as the privileges that belonged to her as queen. Her promiscuous life behind the king's back shattered his ideal. She was revealed as a deceiver who had played with his affections and dishonored his crown. She was beheaded in the tower on 13th February, 1542. Bad Catherine Howard. Yikes. All right. Ready? Yes. Spot the drummer. Once again, if, if, if it wasn't the, if the knowledge that Barry D'Souza could be lingering in the backdrop, be, because of all things that showed sharp instincts and an up-for-anything sort of attitude required to that <laughs> for that track. Well, yeah, and, you know, listening to this mm. and, and, and listening to most Rick Wakeman albums, it, it sort of brings to mind what I was talking about last night with regards to 
John Anderson's solo albums. You know, these guys are all obviously very talented, very wonderful, but when you take them out of the context of, of a group like Yes, where you've got this superior musicianship on every side, it just doesn't always translate mm. quite in the same way. I mean, you know, I don't know. I do believe that little uh, riff was in part of was part of the medley, though. The, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yep. So I um, initially was going with Bill Bruford on this one, simply because of the style of the snare hits and the use of the ride as like the main main instrument. Yet, I think I'm sticking with that. But this could be. I'm going to put a star next to this one as this could be the Barry D'Souza track. Game's almost becoming spot Barry D'Souza. It is almost like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's the wild card, just waiting in the in the deck. When you first hit play, I wanted to say Alan White because it was a little gregarious in there, but then it got wanky and complicated with the syncopations, and I, I'm just totally at a loss. I, I have no idea. Uh, I'll do. I'll. I'll. I'm at a loss. Alright, well we could... Just go ahead and pick one, okay. It's just a game. Alright, Bill Bruford. Okay. Moving on to track four. I did find some of those rhythmic passages to be somewhat promiscuous. Did you? Yes, yes. I think it fits well with the Catherine Howard's song. There's a bit of a hoedown there. Too much. Forgive my ringing telephone. Alright, so while that's ringing, we will queue up for the next track. Um, we'll get here to our one minute mark. And this would appear to be a four minute and fifty second track. Ooh, got some organ going on there. For Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour was born in 1509, married in 1536. How does that work? Is that 50 or 30? She died 1537. Okay, so she was before Anne of Cleves. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Oh, these are not in necessarily. These are not. These are not in chronological order, apparently. Okay. Apparently we are not up to snuff on our wives of Henry VIII. Clearly we are not. Um, it was the very contrast... What? what? Was she the second the... wife then? It says it was the very contrast to Anne that appealed to Henry. Which Anne? No, it could have been... Was, wasn't Anne Boleyn? Oh, Anne Boleyn was right. number two. Anne of a Thousand Days, okay. as it were. There you go. It was the very contrast to Anne that appealed to Henry. Jane was calm, meek, and gentle, and ready to submit to her sovereign's will. In October 1537, Henry received the son, Prince Edward, he had so ardently desired. Although she never recovered from this birth, she was treated more kindly by posterity and was lovingly remembered as the mother of Henry's son. She is the only wife to share his grave. Wowzers. So, yeah, so that makes sense, because Anne Boleyn was the reason why Henry VIII founded the Church of England, so he could simply become divorced. Right. And then that enabled him to have all these wives, basically. Right, so he was married to Catherine. He wanted to get rid of her to marry Anne Boleyn. Okay. And then go on from there. And he executed her? Yes, yes. Uh, Anne Boleyn does appear to have been executed, yes. Well, Anne was, but Catherine Howard was too. Um, Catherine Howard was, but she was a little tramp. But she came after Anne of Cleves. That is correct. So Catherine of Aragon was the first wife? Catherine of Aragon appears to be the first wife. Okay. Um, yeah, but she was divorced. So how did... Yeah, that's weird. Well, what's, what's very interesting is that, and we'll get to this next track... Anne Boleyn was married in 1532, but Catherine of Aragon wasn't divorced until 1533. Hmm. 
Nonetheless. Nonetheless. Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour, track four. Give him her son. No indication that this was recorded over telephone lines. You wouldn't be able to tell, though, would you? You would not. <laughs> At least not if it was done in Switzerland in the mid 1970s. juxtaposition of these big boisterous organ tones against the description of Jane Seymour being a calm, meek, submissive. And that's an excellent point. Picturing her like in the fanfare of like the Queendom, with everyone cheering and yelling and all this fanfare with the organ, but really underneath it all, she's just doing what she's told. Well, we had some four on the floor drumming, so I'm gonna say on one.
I tend to agree with you, Ken. Just on the face of it, I would consider it an Alan White track, although... Use restraint. You do wonder, it's one of those situations where, like, maybe Alan White left already for the day, and he decided he wanted drums in the track, and Barry D'Souza was hanging around, and he said, hey, come in here and play. Barry, play. You're up for anything, right? Mm -hmm. Play like Alan White in this track. Play a couple bars for me, uh, would you? So I, I, you know, I, you can't go wrong with, uh, with Rick Wakeman shredding on a, on a church organ, though, as far as I'm concerned. For sure. So this could also be a Barry D'Souza sleeper track, but I'm going with Alan White, just like Ken. All right, so that moves us into Anne Boleyn, and of course at this point we have, you know, we're obligated to apologize to our UK listeners for not being fully aware of their history. Our bad. But moving on to, uh, to Anne Boleyn. I'm also, also going to apologize in advance when I post my uh, crib notes on Instagram, and all of these people's names are misspelled. <laughs> Uh, is it Anne with an E at the end of it again? Why? Somewhere, right? Um, yes, Anne Boleyn is with an E as well. So one other thing is that Jane Seymour also has the distinction so far of being the only one not named Anne or Catherine. That is true. And she will maintain that distinction. Huh. Alright, so Anne Boleyn, educated in France... Anne came to the court of King Henry in 1521, where she gained popularity with the younger men. She was of middling stature, long neck with beautiful dark eyes. In 1533, she was crowned as queen. Later that year, she gave birth to a girl, her first and greatest failure. Anne's quick temper and savage tongue broke the spell that once had bound Henry to her. She was executed 19 May 1536. Bad Anne Boleyn. Was this like the second execution? I think she may have been the first one to find the... Oh, no, wait. No, she was. She was the second wife. The first one to be executed? She was the first one to be executed. Hmm. And then... Um, so let's see. It went Catherine of Aragon, Anne Boleyn, Jane Seymour, who died. Then... Anne of Cleves, then Catherine Howard, who was also executed, and then Catherine Parr. Hmm. And Parr. I might add that Anne Boleyn is the subject of the play Anne of Thousand Days, which is quite dramatic. Okay. So, Anne Boleyn, track five. Gentlemen, spot the drummer.
while I believe this could be a Bill Bruford sleeper, I'm going to go on record with Barry D'Souza on this one. I think that there are certain things in there that, although are reminiscent of so what the problem is, is right now all I'm doing is I'm saying, okay, what Yes song does this sound like? <laughs> Who's drumming on that? That's who I'm going to pick. So while there were some elements of Bill Bruford, I don't think, I think Bill Bruford would have shaken it up a little bit more with some of the accents there. Okay. So I'm going with Barry D'Souza on this one with the little asterisk that it could be a Bruford sleeper. There were a few sections of hi-hat where I just said Alan, so I'm going to stick with Alan. All right. So that brings us to our last track, the sixth wife of Henry VIII, Catherine Barr. She was born in 1512, married in 1543. She died in 1548. A well-educated lady who could discourse with the foremost scholars of the day. She also possessed a sensitivity and sympathetic feelings. She kept her personal... Protestant sympathies to herself while Henry was alive. Um, twice widowed when she married the king, she became as much a nurse to him as a wife. She knew how to humor him, ease his pain, and soothe his spirits. Although Catherine had her enemies, she managed to bring to the royal family a degree of harmony it had scarcely known before. She survived her spouse and married Thomas Seymour, and died shortly after giving birth to his child. Ah, so there you go. That ends the story. Was it Catherine Parr? With Parr. a P? P as in as progressive in palaver. As in par for the course? Um, two R's. Hmm. Brought harmony. Brought harmony. To the royal family. Yeah. Let's see if this song is harmonious. Hmm. Are you ready to spot the drummer? Yeah. Ready. It's always fun waiting to see the drum watch the drum back Spot the drummer, I think. <laughs> I'm just going with Alan White. So that was my initial reaction, but I swear to you that some of that beat was a direct lift from the second verse of Close to the Edge. Hmm. So Really? Yeah. So it made me think Bill Bruford, um, although it was not played quite like it. Hmm. I'm going to go with my initial reaction, which was also along with the lines of what you said, Kenneth, with Alan White. All right. So we have now spotted the drummer. Shall we go back and see how we did? Let's see if we really did spot the drummer. Can, Let's... can you play a clip and then then we, just to remind ourselves of what, what sure. we're dealing with here? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. All right. So if we go back to track one, 
Maybe we can just start from the beginning. Guesses were Ken. I said Barry. I said Bill Bruford. Paul's the winner. Oh. Well, there's just a friendly game. Oh. Not only is Bill Bruford the drummer on this track, Steve Howe played guitar and Chris Squire played bass. Wow. According to my liner notes, yes. Amazing. So it was almost a yes song. It was almost a yes song. All it needed was John Anderson sing, playing the chimes. That's all it needed. Moving on to track two, Anne of Cleves. Guesses were? Oh no, that sounds like Alan to me, but I wrote down Bill because I think he played a different section at this point. I chose Alan because that was the one where I thought we were listening to Gates of Delirium. And I said it was like going to be a jammy thing and the King yeah. Crimson. And that's what Bill wanted to get to, which could be very well the case. Could very well be the case. It was, in fact, Alan White. Oh man, I'm over two. Catherine Howard. Catherine Howard, the troll. The gay and spirited and uninhibited. Okay, well, this is the one that scares me. I went with Bill Bruford, but this could, in fact, be the Barry Souza Sleeper. Well, I went with Bill Bruford, but hearing that intro, it sounds like Alan, so... Here is your Barry Souza Sleeper. Oh, oh, there it is. That means I got another one wrong, too. You know, having Barry in here really makes it yeah. difficult, because we don't really know where yeah. Barry fits in, in in all of this, right? You know, is he more like one or the other? Um, but yes, that was, uh, that was in fact Barry D'Souza. Huh. Well done, Barry. Jane Seymour. The calm, meek, submissive, and ultimately successful. Yes. This one have any drums? Very sparse. I think, I think there's only like 30 seconds of drums. I think so. In the middle of this one. I think during this passage right there, it's clear that it was Alan White. What? That's 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 what I'm, that's what I'm guessing. I guess Alan White. Was yeah, why is 
experience if she was a common gentle woman who burned yes, the sun. Yes, that was the juxtaposition. That is the interesting thing. Well, not being able to find it. So, Paul, you had Alan White? I had Alan White. I had Alan White. It is, in fact, Alan White. Yes! All right. That was the one that I thought they only wanted Jones for a little bit, and Alan had left, and it could have been Barry stepping in, but went with Alan. Okay. So now, for those of you keeping track at home, we have two tracks left, one each for Bill Bruford and Alan White. Which means oh, I got... I didn't realize there was an even division. It's not. Alan White has three, Bill has two, oh. and Barry has one. So we've already had mm. we've already had one Bill Bruford track. Then I th well, uh. this will be interesting. So yeah, so the Anne Boleyn track is next. Yes, Anne and, Boleyn is next. And I went on with my vote as Barry D'Souza, but I but I said this could be the Bill Bruford sleeper. So we'll see how how it pans out. It's kind of sort of a Francais kind of influence to it. Oh, educated in France? She was educated in France. Is there any mention in the liner notes about having the Pink Floyd backup singers on, on the record? Okay, what did you say? Catherine Parr, by the way, was Dave Winter. Huh. So I want to know who weird. played bass on the seven-minute tune. Which one was that? Uh, well, we can figure it, it was, out. Uh, Anne Cleves? The real, the real kind of funk, free jazz thing. I said it sounded like what Bill wanted to do with King Crimson, I think. I think that was Anne of Cleves, yeah. That was Alan White, right? Yeah, I wonder who the funky bass player was getting it, getting it down. Bass by display not working. All right, so... That would have been track two. Track two is also Dave Winter. Hmm. Funky dude. Funky dude. Wow. So, All right, well, that was a fun little game. That was. Hmm. And so I'm thinking I got, like, one, two... Three, four out of six, correct. Brilliant. And the fifth one, even though I guessed wrong with Barry, I did note. I did actually get the two. Well, okay, I can't really go for that. I got four out of six. Four out of six. And I just don't know if that means that I can continue talking about drums on the palaver, <laughs> or if I should just stop. I got two out of six. So. <laughs> I think we could all continue talking about drums anyway. Oh. Um, and, you know, obviously at some point when we go back into Yes, and, uh, you know, it's going to be important because Alan, you know, from where we left off, which was just prior to 90125, Alan obviously, you know, takes over drumming duties from then on with the exception of the intervention of Bill Bruford in the Union period, mm -hmm. which is an interesting period to discuss. Well, yes, that will be fun to talk about. And right. I must say, one um, perhaps unintended side effect of this is I'm very curious to go back now and listen to uh, The Six Wives of Henry VIII simply to hear the tracks and the glory of uh, Rick, Rick Wakeman. Yeah, there you go. You know, while we're on that subject, I, um, one of the other Rick Wakeman albums that I picked up recently was Journey to the Center of the Earth, which oh. I don't know if you've listened to that. 
It's the first one. The first one. Only live. Only when I saw him do the live, yeah. It's it's a little over the top, um, but I did also pick up the second one that was done in, what, the late 90s with Ozzy and Trevor? Yes, and that one. Yeah, and, I know. And Patrick Stewart? Yes. Yes. Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart is awesome. That was fantastic. Yeah. The I think in the first uh, Journey to the Center of the, the Earth, he used the Fletch keyboard sound a lot. Oh. Um, which which is cool, but also quite comical um, when when I heard it in the early '90s. Well, the whole the whole production of that is just really unexpected. It's it's very you know '70s show tuny. Was there a narrator in the first one, or was there was indeed? Who was the narrator? Do you remember? I have no idea who he was. But anyway, gentlemen. Thank you so much for playing Spot the Drummer. I know we've been talking about this for a long time, and uh, it was a you know a fun way to pass what I'm assuming is probably an hour on a uh, cold, <laughs> rainy afternoon. Yeah. Ah, oh. oh, brutal. All right. So uh, you know we'll keep our eyes open for other fun games that the Progressive Palaver can play. And thank you all. <laughs> Hi, buddy. How are you? <laughs> Just comes lumbering in the room, breathing heavy. <laughs> Poor buddy. As always, Progressive Palaver is available for subscription on iTunes and Google Play and hosted on SoundCloud. We are available on most major forms of social media, including Twitter, where we are at Progpala, and uh, Instagram, and... Uh, Facebook, where I believe we're also Prog Paula, right, Paul? Or you can also yes. search for Progressive Palaver and find us there as well. And uh, you're always welcome to um, email us. Um, our email address is progpala at gmail.com. And we do have a YouTube channel. And, uh, you know, so we hope you've enjoyed this fun little way to pass some time. I think we should give a shout out to Dickie's Barbecue Pit as well. <laughs> let's, let's give a shout out to Dickie's. It was good breakfast to, or good lunch today. Yeah. Dickie's Barbecue Pit, committed to the meats, a tradition since 1941. There you go.